Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is physical therapist, Dr. Carmen Shudo, who has recently developed a simple five-step, five-exercise, five-movement screening tool for runners to use to self-assess their injury risk. Now, more information is always better, and the more that we know about our own bodies, the better runners we can be. So if you're a runner who describes themselves as injury-prone, or you're just curious about how you move in comparison to other people, and if you have heard about strength and mobility deficits, but you're not quite sure how to measure those, this assessment tool is what you need. It is free for you to download, to follow along with this episode. Carmen also talks in this episode about how to find a good physical therapist, what he learned in PT school, and why he also chose to pursue an additional certificate in strength and conditioning to work specifically with runners. Yes, there is an audio glitch in the very beginning of this episode. It's the only one though, and unfortunately we just missed a little bit of Carmen's update about his bio and his recent graduation and credentials, but it's only at the very beginning. So if you're interested in learning more about how to assess your own injury risk and what this tool might be able to tell you, you're about to learn. Dr. Carmen Schuto, welcome back to the show. I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you. Very excited to be here once again. Yes, I know. So the last time that we spoke, it was early last year. You were finishing up your advanced degrees and give us an update. What's been going on in the past probably 18 months since we, we last spoke. I've also gotten my strength and conditioning certification since we last spoke. Um, you know, something big that I've wanted to do for a long time. I finally got that and I've taken on a lot more runners as a coach. And yeah, right now I'm just really beginning to kind of get things settled down, take the next step in my career, um, my life really, just, you know, working as a physical therapist, see where I'll be, see what I want to do and all that fun stuff, getting it all sorted out right now. That's awesome. So, I mean, obviously you've gone through years and years of schooling to get your doctorate in physical therapy. Why did you want to get the strength and conditioning certificate on top of that? Yeah. So, um, it's kind of like a secret in PT school. Maybe I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but we don't really learn a lot in PT school about like the performance aspect of everything. One of the reasons why I really wanted to become a physical therapist was to get athletes and runners to, to the next PR. Right. But in physical therapy, we learn so much about every setting a physical therapist works in that we can't really dive super deep into a lot of these niche topics like getting a runner to the next PR. And a lot of times we're even limited in doing that in our treatments by insurance and all that, you know, once a, once a patient is good enough to be functional and pain-free on their own, they get sent out of physical therapy. And I'm like, you know, wait a second, that's, I don't want to send a runner back who can't get to their 30 miles a week anymore just because insurance won't let me see them anymore. And I can't do that working under insurance and I can't do that with the skills I learned in PT school. So getting my strength and conditioning certification was a way to educate myself on how to take runners to that next step outside of physical therapy 
And um, I loved getting that. It was huge. Um, not only runners, but athletes of any sport, just kind of like to learn about that, all of the, you know, agility, the power, the performance aspect of all of it, how being able to progress them, being able to work with them in ways that you wouldn't really learn in PT school, like, like nutrition wise. Uh, so it was really cool learning all of that and getting that certification so I can, you know, take that next step in my career and implement that to the athletes I work with. That's very cool. Yeah. Always, always seeking to optimize, not just like, oh, we'll get you back to baseline. Let's make you better than you were before. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today we are, we are going to dive a bit more down into your, your skill set as a physical therapist. Um, cause we'll be talking about how runners can do a, it's not like an, well, it's, first of all, it's called an injury risk assessment tool. You developed this, it's called the injury risk assessment tool. And it's available as a free download on we run Vegas, the Instagram account, go to the link and buy, you can download it for free. And I love this idea. And I think that any runner injured or not should understand the baseline of how their body is and functions. And we'll be going through that today, but, um, as a physical therapist, I mean, your goal is to not need to see people, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We see them once. They don't want to see them again. And so how did you develop this? Like, what was the goal for developing this tool, this kind of assessment tool for how a runner could use this? Yeah. So there were three reasons that I really thought of why I needed to make something like this. One was just to get an outlet for higher level information. Again, through what I've learned through PT school and my experience and my certification with strength conditioning to kind of put all that out there in one space um, and create a separate brand for it. Because on Instagram, I'm Carmen.dpt. And there's people who follow me to keep up with my training and like my personal blogging and stuff. And I, you know, I love that. I appreciate that. But I was kind of mixing like the personal stuff with that um, just information I was putting out through PT school. And I had a mix of people following me because they cared about my training and people who didn't really care about me and just wanted to, to get those like informations I was giving out. So just wanted to be educated and learn and didn't really care about me. And that's fine. I, I, I respect that and I understand that. So I wanted to create a separate brand for those people who are just following for like the education aspect. And then second of all, the, the Vegas running community out here, you know, a lot of people know Las Vegas as the strip and that's it. Um, but, you know, we have grocery stores and gas stations and all that fun stuff out here. And I think the professional sports teams coming out here really kind of let people know about that. But furthermore, we have such a big running community out here. Uh, trail runners, road runners, all these running groups. There are tons of them and they're all separate. And I kind of wanted to create something to help bring everyone together in Vegas, but also, you know, who doesn't love visiting Vegas, right? So if people want to come out here and get a run in on their vacation. There are tons of groups and people to, to meet out here to do that with. And a lot of people just don't know about that. And then um, the third reason, just really get myself out there as a physical therapist out here in Vegas, right? I think especially out here in Las Vegas, there are a ton of young high-level physical therapists. Um, to name a few that you might've seen on Instagram already, they're pretty big. Matt at the Movement Systems, big, a big mentor for me. Uh, Zachy at the whole team have optimized really. And, and Zach couples too, has a lot of good stuff on Instagram. And these people are, are very young and upcoming physical therapists out here in Vegas. And there's not really one 
running specialist out here who's who's doing the stuff that they're doing. And my goal is to help kind of help change that healthcare system to become higher level and, and fill that role as the running person to go to. So those are the reasons why I kind of created this separate brand at We Run Vegas. And I'm hoping to bring a lot of interesting stuff to it in the future. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I completely understand the whole separate brand thing. I mean, there's a, there's a reason that running explained is not about me. And I always say that, like mm -hmm. I'm the face behind it, but like, it's not about me. Like I don't post about my training. I, you know, I, it's not about what I'm doing. It's about the information and the sport and the education and the community. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great way to, to reach more people who maybe are like, I don't really care about what Carmen's doing, but I really care about this information that he's putting out there. Right. I take no offense to that. I understand completely. <laughs> That's totally fine. And I will also say having had runners, even in the last six months, need to travel to Vegas for work reasons who were in the middle of training runners. If you have to go to Vegas or if you choose to go to Vegas for fun, or you have to go for business and you are trying to get a run in, it sounds like there are a lot of great groups you might be able to connect with. Uh, so you don't have to run up and down the strip, which is impossible because <laughs> you can't <laughs> yeah especially if you miss the early morning it's you can't do it um but yeah i'm hoping to get something out there where you can kind of just go through the page and find these different running groups and explore whatever you would like to everyone is very welcoming it's not it's not hard to find one you just gotta know where to look and you gotta stay hydrated always bring your water especially in the summer. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's dive into the assessment tool. So this is very cool. And listeners, if you are listening to this on a run or somewhere where you can't get to a computer and download it, no worries. We're going to talk through this. And then when you do get a chance to download it, you'll see there are links to videos that have the, the exercises, these movements videos. So you can watch and say, Oh, okay. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. We're going to go through here and talk about why Carmen has chosen to include these exercises, movements, assessments in the screening tool and what they might be able to tell you. Of course, disclaimer at the end of every episode is this is not a substitute for medical information. And I think that our physical therapist here will say, yeah, this is not to please don't use this to diagnose yourself, but it's a great place to get more information about your body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The reason I made this tool was, um, to get something more specific and something data-driven. There's a lot of stuff on Instagram and a lot of it's good, a lot of it's bad. We don't really know how to like dissect it. And I'm not saying what I have is perfect, but if you, I'm open to, to questions about this. And if you're kind of scratching your head saying, why do I have to do this? Or how does this help? That's why I really want to make it very data-driven. So if I don't have the answers, I pull a lot of stuff from the research that I can help guide you to, and you can go get answers from there if you don't kind of, you know, understand or trust me. And that's totally fine. I'm not saying you should trust me. I'm just a random stranger to you. But a lot of the stuff is very research driven, data driven. And that's why I put this together, something that it can be more reliable than just saying, hey, here's this Instagram post, listen to it, you know? Something I found is by necessity, there's a lot of information out on the internet that is rather broad, right? It encompasses the, generally speaking, X, Y, Z. And from personal experience for me and also with the runners that I work with, we make, we tend to make a lot of assessments about how we think our body moves and behaves until you actually get an assessment done. And you might have been completely wrong. Like if you're out there thinking, oh, I'm a runner, so I must have weak glutes and tight hips and a poor, you know, my ankle flexion is poor. 
actually you're just making assumptions until you actually do an assessment. You have no idea what's actually going on. Right. And this isn't an answer to, to not going to see a healthcare specialist if something's going on. It's just something, like you said, something more specific that have reasons behind it. So if you go through one of these movements that I have listed here and you have difficulty with it, the research kind of explains, and I kind of summarized it too in the assessment tool I have, but if you dig deep into the research, it really shows like, this is what the movement is testing and this is the purpose of it. So if you're struggling with it in this way, this is where you should really emphasize your focus and zero in on improving like either this mobility or this strength in this specific area, because these are the movements that have been shown with research to if you can complete these movements um, the right way without any compensations or struggling with it, you're just shown to have less injury. So if you can kind of do these movements and break them down, see where you have trouble with and kind of target there, I think it's a lot more useful and specific than what you mentioned, just something very broad on Instagram and saying, you know, try this for back pain or try this for knee pain or something like that. If someone is going through and using this assessment tool, going through the exercises, should they be recording themselves, taking video of them doing these exercises? Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Absolutely. I think um, I think you, you can kind of get an idea of it when, when you're doing the movement, where you're struggling and where you feel it. But it does help to, um, to record yourself absolutely and see if you're hitting, if, if what you're seeing with your eyes from your perspective is the same as what you're seeing with the camera from a different perspective, if that makes sense. And I'll use a completely non-running example is that I, I, I don't really golf. <laughs> I have swung a golf club very poorly. But when I first started hitting golf balls a couple of years ago, I thought that my swing was great. And then my husband videoed me and I was like, oh my God, is that what I look like? <laughs> is that kind of mismatch between like what we think we look like and what is actually going on? Yeah. Yeah. You can have a couple of those with these movements. Absolutely. All right. Let's get back to the running stuff. Let's start with the very, very first it's not even an exercise on here. This is a movement. This is a movement. The forward step down. It sounds pretty simple, right? Tell us about the forward step down. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as it sounds. And before I get into all this stuff, if you're kind of confused here, like we kind of mentioned, the actual assessment tool you go to download, it'll have the links of the videos, links of the research, the instructions and all that written out nice and concise for everybody. But the forward step down, as simple as it sounds, imagine just like you're walking downstairs. That's kind of what it is. Using a standard step between six and eight inches, you want to place your hands on your hips and then slowly tap your heel to the floor in front of you, trying to remain upright and not let your knee go past your toes. Not that that's a bad thing, but this movement is really assessing your hip abductor strength and some quad tightness too. So having your knees go past your toes really puts the emphasis more on the quad muscle, which, which could be a compensation for hip abductor weakness. So if you're not able to do this motion with keeping your knee behind your toe and you're compensating in a way that has your knee slide forward, that could be an indicator of that hip abductor weakness. And that's something that we mentioned too. You can kind of, if you want to put a camera at the side and kind of see where your knee is, knee is in relation to your toe, that can help you see it as well. And is this the, the knee and toe on your planted foot? So the one that you are weight bearing on, and then the other foot is the one that you use to tap your heel down to the step below. Yes. Yes, that's correct. I'm doing, I'm like, I'm sitting on, I'm like, oh, that's, that's a really good one. Um, 
What if somebody <laughs> struggles to even maintain single leg stability in that position? Yeah, that is another very good indicator of hip abductor weakness. That would be a lot more weak than if trying to step down. You were to do that. Um, again, it's it's it is specific, but there could be a number of things that might not allow you to stand on one leg with balance, right? Um, but the research I pulled from here, just to kind of go over it, it was a study about um, about women runners, and it showed that women with moderate movement quality during this test. Um, exhibited like less strength compared to people who or women who were able to do this with higher movement quality. They kind of like judged it and rated it in a different way, but it just again just kind of emphasized that this movement is related to to weakness in this area. So it's kind of hard to draw conclusions from stepping down to say, well, if I can't balance on one leg, I have similar weakness. Like maybe, maybe not. Um, but I really like to just take this research for what it is and not try to draw too much outside of that, if that makes sense. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And obviously, anything single leg should be performed on both sides, and then you kind of compare them to each other, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you could definitely have weakness on one side and not the other. That's that's very common. All right. The second movement on here is the active straight leg raise. Tell us about this one. Is this a sitting, standing, lying down? How do we do this one? You are lying on your back here and you're lying flat on your back. Your legs are straight. And the idea here is to lift one leg up as high as you can while keeping both legs on the ground, or I mean, sorry, both legs straight, one leg flat on the ground, other leg straight up in the air as high as you can. And this is kind of hard to explain over, <laughs> over a podcast, but if you can imagine lying down on your back, drawing a line straight to the ceiling from your knees, the leg that you're raising up, you want the heel of that leg to come up past that line. And this one is very good at testing um, pelvic mobility and active hamstring length, which is very different than passive hamstring length, right? We want to be able to have this mobility while we're actually moving and not having someone stretch us or passively stretch ourselves. This is a good test to, to measure that one. And again, if this is something that you struggle with, you can look at a number of things. You can look at that hamstring length, the pelvic mobility, the pelvic control. And again, I really advise just kind of watching the video if this doesn't make sense to you and digging a little more into the research that I have linked here to kind of understand where the limitations might be if you struggle with this movement. Tell us a bit more about active versus passive hamstring length, because I think this helps illustrate the concept of mobility versus flexibility and like why a runner doesn't need to be able to do a split to be a really good runner. Like that's not really what we're looking for here. <laughs> right. That's a great question. That's a huge one. We see a lot in the clinic too. A lot of runners, just because if you bend down and touch your toes, we're, we're stretching our hamstring, right? That's the, that's the, you know, the telltale hamstring stretch, hamstring test length. So just because you're not able to touch your toes 
doesn't mean your hamstrings are tight. Even though you might feel like your hamstrings are limiting you, it might not be your hamstrings that are truly limiting you from doing that movement. And when we're doing that passively, passively meaning we're not actively contracting that muscle. So if we're just in that position stretching our hamstring, that's a passive stretch. Whereas if we are moving using the mobility-wise, that's more of, of you know just the mobility aspect of it. And that's where we really want to emphasize and zero in on as runners to get that mobility back. Because there's nowhere in our gait cycle where we are passively moving any muscle. We're, we're active throughout the entire, the entire gait cycle. So we can, you know, stretch the crap out of our hamstrings and be able to touch our toes, but that doesn't mean that we're going to, um, you know, lengthen our stride in any way because we don't get that mobility if we're just working on that passive flexibility, if that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Um, and I, and I think that's one of the most common kind of misconceptions about what it takes to, to run well, to run strong and healthy and with good form is that you don't need to be super flexible in the traditional sense of the word in order for that to happen. And, and actually in some cases being overly flexible might be working against you if you're like ultra flexible or spend way too much time doing a lot of static stretching. Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, you know, we go into a lot about the stretch shortening cycle and how having tight muscles might actually be beneficial to you as a runner, but that's a different kind of rabbit hole we can get down some other time and talk about that. You know, that's why you hear a lot of people say like stretching might not be the best thing for you is because of kind of what we're talking about here. But like I said, that is something we can get into for, for hours and talk about. <laughs> All right, let's go to this next one. This next one's pretty self-explanatory, but this I feel is one of those movements that tells you volumes about what's going on. The deep body weight squat. Right. Absolutely. And this, along with the active straight leg raise, these are two movements of the functional movement screen. It's, it's a, um, kind of like what I have here, but just a gen something more general that a lot of physical therapists actually implement to their athletes, just implementing these seven different movements and, you know, kind of doing the purpose of what I'm doing here with this, trying to figure out where these limitations are. But there was a study done about this functional movement screen that's developed with their seven movements that they have. And they found that these two specific movements were very highly correlated with running injuries. And that's why I pulled these two, the deep body weight squat and the active straight leg raise from the functional movement screen and threw them into this um, injury assessment tool for runners. But the deep body weight squat is just how it sounds, right? No weight, just body weight. But something different here is that you want to grab like a golf club or a broomstick or something straight and light just to hold over your head. And that kind of throws the thoracic mobility into it too. This is something that really emphasizes mobility of the hips, the ankles, and the thoracic spine all in one. So it's not super, super specific as the other ones were, but it does kind of hit all of those important points to do this. And it's just how it sounds. So holding that stick over your head, you want to squat as deep as you can. Some compensation to see with this is if you're trying to squat down, you lose your balance. That can be, um, you know, a limitation somewhere, typically in the hips or the, or the spine. Or if you're squatting down and your heels come off the ground once you get a little deeper, that's a pretty common compensation too. And I go over some more in the video that I, the videos that I have linked here too. But this is a very straightforward test to hit, hit a lot of different areas with one. 
um, something, and I'm, I'm not a physical therapist, but I do know how to do a basic movement screening is that they're diff based on where your arm position is when your arms are overhead, that tells you a lot about mobility issues as well. Cause we, as runners, we typically think about kind of like our core and below, right? Belly button and lower. Um, and we forget that actually upper body mobility and strength and movement is also really important. Like if you can't put your arms up over your head, that's a problem, even though you're not going to need to do that when you run. Right. Yeah. Doing that. And then part of the movement here is maintaining that position, which is also has that balance component to it. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's very important. Like you said, a lot of, we think you hit the nail on the head. We always think like belly button down for runners and we don't really assess the thoracic spine at all when, or even the cage at all, you know, <laughs> not to go like on a different topic here, but our ribs are the most pliable bone in our body. And, and we are inhaling and exhaling constantly when we run. And if we don't have that mobility there, that could impact us in a, in a million different ways, both injury wise and performance wise. So we're three exercises in, and this is the injury risk assessment tool. So let's say somebody has, you know, breezed right through uh, exercises one, two, three, and they're like, no, I watched the video. I am like the textbook version of how you do this. Um, that's just, I mean, it doesn't really like absolve them. Like, oh, you're never going to get injuries no matter what, because you, you're perfect. But it's like, all right, right now, based on where well, we're three fifths of the way through, right now you're probably in pretty good shape. You likely are not going to be experiencing running injuries anytime soon, but it's not like a guarantee. Right. I think the conclusion you can make is that based on the research that these movements came from, you are less likely to have an injury as opposed to somebody struggling with these movements and nothing more, nothing less than that. Again, it is very specific what I kind of drew together here, but it is definitely not all inclusive by any means. So of the, let's go back to the body weight squat. Cause I feel like that's something that anybody can kind of, if they're no matter where they are, you listener may have just stopped and popped down into a body weight squat just to see, um, what are some of the most common things that you see in runners who have issues with the body weight squat, the deep body weight squat. And is there any correlation between common running injuries that you see? Or if you're like, no, 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 this could really be kind of the root cause of almost any running injury. Or if you're like, no, if you can't do this, then you're probably going to be experiencing this issue. Yeah, that is a, uh, that's a packed question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the biggest things that I see with runners doing, trying to do the squat here is how I mentioned before, um, because a lot of people just neglect their, their spine mobility, which is important in running too. And if you're going down in the squat and you're able to get down very deep, but then you kind of lose your balance and you can't maintain that overhead position, that indicates something more in the thoracic mobility. So if you struggle with that, then I'll take a runner and kind of assess their thoracic mobility and they have very limited rotation or extension or some movement there. And it's kind of like, aha, you know, there's somewhere we can kind of work with. And another one I mentioned too, and this is with a lot of weightlifters, you see this too. Um, they just can't get into a very deep squat because their heels rise. And that can be for a number of different reasons. It's hard to pinpoint exactly why that's happening. A lot of people say it, it could be just like ankle stiffness, ankle tightness, calf tightness, but it could be anywhere up the kinetic chain really. But that is another compensation that gives you a pretty good idea of where to go and where to assess and, and how to target that. For thoracic mobility, 
Are there any, again, this is like, it could go, you know, up the chain, down the chain, kind of wherever, but for a runner who has very poor thoracic mobility, are there more common symptoms they might be experiencing? If some runner comes in and they're like, I, this is what's happening. And you're like, I got to test your thoracic mobility. That's a good question. And I don't have a straight answer for that one. And that's just because everybody can compensate in a million different ways. It's so hard to pinpoint something and, you know, kind of drawing back as to, as to our job as physical therapists, where we start and kind of do this investigation on people's bodies and see where the limitations are. And that's how we do things like this, put them through these functional movement screens and assessments, and then try to find something from there. So if a runner comes in with X injury and we find this limitation, then we kind of got to draw the map as to how this is causing this injury in this specific area. And again, people will say, you know, on, on Instagram all the time, do this for knee pain, do this for back pain. Um, but it really, you know, if it was that simple, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have jobs as physical therapists. So it's it's kind of like like an investigation almost, right? We're, we're almost playing like detective trying to find out like why this is causing this. And, and that really separates the basic physical therapist from the running specialist physical therapist trying to make that connection and, and solve that issue. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The, the running specialist physical therapist versus the kind of everyday physical therapist. Um, this next one, I absolutely love single leg hopping. This is such a great assessment slash screening tool for a variety of situations. Um, I mean, I see this on basically every, every screening assessment, every like, let's just test to see how things are going. Every return to run protocol, like a single leg hop, single leg hopping is always on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great one. And, um, and I got to give a shout out to Chris Johnson. If new, you don't know who he is, he's a physical therapist who does a lot of stuff. He has his own podcast, his own social media, and he's very big on these plyometric activities and single leg hopping is, is a great one. And it's not hard to, you know, think about how that relates to our gait cycle, right? We're almost doing that with every step. And so this really assesses the elasticity and that stretch shortening cycle of the entire calf complex. And again, it kind of goes in that argument where we want a certain level of stiffness in, in our calf muscles, but not too tight to the point where it's causing an injury. And, you know, if it is that, is, is static stretching really the way to go? But anyways, dialing back to the movement here, the movement is as simple as it sounds, just hopping on one leg for about 15 seconds, maybe about two jumps per second, if you want to get specific with that, and then having your heels not touch the ground the entire time. And, you know, if you struggle with this, and this is one that's very specific too. If you struggle with this, it could just be a lack of strength or, or a lack of tendon strength to really keep your heel off that ground and, and maintain that hop for, for 15 seconds. And I have these, like these guidelines here, like I said, 15 seconds, two jumps per second. Out of the five movements, this is probably the most specific I got with one. And I left it pretty broad on purpose because outside of the functional movement screen, there's not really a way to like score these movements you know so i love it very subjective on or not yeah subjective and open to criticism on purpose and not very specific on the protocols of how to do these if that makes sense for the single leg hopping if somebody experiences here i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a couple hypotheticals let's say somebody does the single leg hopping movement and while they're doing it 
they start to, they start to get cramping in their calf muscles. What would, I'm looking at, what might that I'm tell you? At, I'm looking at hydration first and foremost, especially out here in Vegas. We have a lot of runners who, who just don't hydrate very well because it is hard to, when it gets hot. And that's what, um, a lot of the cramping symptoms usually come from, but it could also be, um, you know, what 90% of injuries from runners are some sort of overuse injury in that calf muscle. I'll look at their training. Are they, are they, you know, the 80, 20 rule we always talk about, are they training too, too hard, too often? Is that why their muscles are overworked and they're, they're cramping? And, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can go about that, but those are the two biggest that I would first and foremost, take a look at. What if somebody's doing this movement and they say, ah, my Achilles is kind of sore when I do this movement. Yeah. I would look at again, some sort of overuse, like dig into their training. Are they, are they working out too often on their cast? Are they going too much too soon? Are they doing too hard too often? Are they putting too much mileage in too soon? Different things like that. Something I tend to fight against the internet about, and I know you do too, is the fact that, um, it's okay to heel strike for a lot of runners, as long as it's not also accompanied by other issues like overstriding or, you know, loading on your heel or anything like that. But where, and I don't, I, I'm very clear that I don't, like, I'm not a physical therapist. I can direct you to answers, but I will not answer your injury questions, but I get a fair number of questions about, I, I read that heel striking is bad. So I tried to change my foot strike and now my calves hurt when I run. Yeah. That, for me, it's, that's like pretty clear what's happening here. <laughs> that's very clear what's happening, right? When you just imagine when you're heel striking to get into like the more muscular component here, it is the anterior tibialis muscle that's really going to um, eccentrically contract and control that movement when you're heel striking. And then when you land on your toes, your heels coming to the ground and it's that calf complex that isn't working nearly as hard when you heel strike compared to when you start midfoot or forefoot striking, because that is what's going to control that, that landing movement. And then it has to concentrically contract right away to push you back off. And so it is getting almost probably double the work if you switch from a heel strike right to a forefoot strike. And then if you, that's why I always advise runners too, it's not that you have to change your, your striking pattern, but if you want to go about that route and, and do that, you almost have to, like knock the mileage down back to where you started with, because it is a completely different running pattern and your muscles just, although you're running in a certain way, you just change it biomechanically just that little bit. And it changes the workload of a bunch of different muscles, especially that calf complex when you're forefoot striking that you need to give your body time and your, your body will adapt. I promise you that it's just, you have to give it time to do so. And that's with any movement, running, weightlifting, and any movement you want to do, your body's very adaptable. Just give the time to do so. But especially if you're going from a heel, heel strike to a forefoot strike, that calf complex is getting so much more work that you got to be ready for it <laughs> and give it time to adapt. What about um, single leg hopping? I know is on the assessment or the screen for a lot of return to run um, protocols, like coming back from stress fractures. What if somebody does experience pretty sharp localized pain when they're doing this single leg hopping? Yeah, sharp, very localized pain. That's, that's getting into more of a conversation of a stress fracture versus shin splints, right? Shin splints generally are more 
not localized along the entire shin. Whereas if you can really pinpoint, and it's, it's typically unilateral too, just on one side, it could be both sides, but typically more so just on one side, if you could pinpoint exactly where that pain is along your shin, that's more indicative of like a stress reaction or God forbid a stress fracture, right? The last thing anyone or any runner wants to hear a stress fracture. But, you know, that's just a sign to, again, look at your training, slow down a little bit. It's, it's stress fractures and runners are very, very typically too much too soon right so that's that's a, that's something where as a physical therapist i'm not really doing any hands-on physical therapy physical therapy treatment i'm looking at their at their training and more often than not i'll find there that they're just doing too much too soon and that's just that's a very strong sign to dial it back a little bit and, and take those precautions because you know if the stress reaction or shin splints can turn into stress reactions and if that turns into a stress fracture then that can put you in a boot and set you back for six weeks at least. And then that's a whole world that you do not want to get into as a runner, right? So, yeah. and again, this is one that's going to, one of those movements to single like hopping, that's what it's really going to assess both that and it's very good for Achilles tendinopathy too. All right, this last exercise, the single leg calf raises. What does this tell us? Well, how is this different from single leg hopping? Right, the single leg hopping is going to be um, more of a plyometric drill, a plyometric movement, where these single leg calf raises, you're not putting so much of that very quick concentric, eccentric force on that calf muscle. So it's not going to be as targeted to stress fractures or shin splints or Achilles tendinopathy. This is more so like the calf complex muscular endurance. A lot of people really physical therapists and runners themselves overlook the importance of our calf complex while we're running. It takes up to six to eight times our body weight with each stride, our, our gastroc and our soleus. So it's important that we have that strength first of all, but second of all, have that endurance to keep that strength up with each stride so we don't compensate in other ways, you know? So what I have for this movement here, and we do this in physical therapy too, we do our manual muscle tests and for our for our calf complex, we should be able to perform 25 single leg calf raises without using any kind of support on both legs. And that's just to score a five out of five for a manual muscle test to be like a, like a normal person, I guess, right? But for a runner, you should probably even do more than that, which is, which is very, it's a lot of strength and it's a lot of endurance too. And that's why I threw this one in here because it's very important to to keep that strength and endurance so we don't compensate in, in any other way and get knee pain or hip pain or somewhere else like that because our calves just aren't strong enough. I often have conversations with my runners about that, you know, when we're doing PT, there is probably going to be a strength component to physical therapy. And this seems like a really good example of that. Like for some people doing 25 body weight calf raises on each side, that will be strength training for them. If they, you know, or working up to 25, if they can't do 25, that will be strength training for somebody else. They might need to go to, you know, significantly heavy weight to get the same effect. But for some people, just the basic PT or even assessment exercise will be strength training. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a good one for that too. If, if, you know, if this is one that you struggle with, it's a great place to start. It's very simple. It's just you could start with two legs and get those calf raises up. And then you could try single leg and go from there, you know, kind of progress and regress as you have to. 
but yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's just, this could be a very good strength training exercise. And ideally as a healthy runner, we should be able to, first of all, be able to do 25 of these, but second of all, to strength train these, we should be able to add some weight to it and, and kind of really stress our muscle in that way. So let's say a runner has gone through all five movements and they've said, all right, um, you know, nothing was really wrong, but you know, I know, I know there didn't, a couple of them didn't really feel great. What are they supposed to do with that information? Let's say this runner is not injured. Okay. Cause this is the difference between if a runner is actively injured versus uninjured. They say I'm currently uninjured. I, I, I give myself like a B B plus. What can I do with this information? Right. Again, I think it's going back to the whole purpose of this tool is to predict injury risk, right? All the research that these movements are, are taken from are research that predicts injuries in runners. So it doesn't mean you're actively injured right now, but for example, somebody who's able to perform a deep bodyweight squat without any compensations is less likely to be injured in the future than somebody who maybe had a compensation or two with the deep bodyweight squat. And that's with all the movements here. So Again, just taking the research for what it is and not trying to draw any anything more or less from it, I think it's a very important place to start. And then I threw the purpose of these movements all in here in the movement in the screen here that you can download for free. There's a little purpose thing about it and it shows like what the movement is actually testing. So if you are trying like the bodyweight squat, for example, and you're, you can't really get deep without your heels rising, then you should, that gives you again, and more specific scope onto where to really focus any strength training or mobility work, or just really focus on, I know I'll put limitations in quotes because if the, if the runner isn't injured currently, right, they're not really limited yet. But again, this is just to predict future injury risk, if that makes sense, hopefully. And obviously, like, and I always um, counsel my runners is that, you know, one data point isn't really meaningful like you have to kind of put a bunch of them together. So if this is something you do quarterly or monthly and just keep track of how it goes, like ideally you don't want to see regression, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if nothing else, you want to see that nothing changes, but if you do have deficits or issues, you'd hopefully want to see those improve over time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what about, a runner who does this assessment and they would not describe themselves as currently injured, but when they do one or more of these movements, they do experience some mild discomfort when they do them. What should they do? Right. It all depends um, what movement and where at in the movement. And again, just really trying to use the research here and the purpose of these movements to target in on where to either strength train or mobility work, or just really focusing on maybe seeing an expert. On, I mean, if you, if you really want to take that next level performance and you feel like this little movement is what is limiting you from doing that, it doesn't hurt to see an expert about that and really say, hey, you know, I, I'm not injured, but when I do these movements, I, I feel some pain here and I don't want it to, you know, escalate, right? You always want to get ahead of it. And again, this is to, this is a, like a predictive tool. I want to stress that. I can't stress that enough. This is a predictive tool for injury. So none of these might hurt and you might be fine with all of these. And that doesn't mean you're never going to get hurt. But if you do struggle with a few, or if you do have pain with one, 
dig into the research a little bit too. I have the articles linked here too. They show a lot more movements and give a lot more depth into the reasoning why these are chosen and why these are predictive of injury risk in runners. So it's, it's you know, if you're a research nerd like I am, it's, it's a lot to dive into and it could be a lot of fun looking at that stuff and, and very educational too. This could be helpful. I mean, I, I, I've heard it from enough runners who are like, oh, I'm, I'm really injury prone. And whenever I hear a runner describe themselves as being really injury prone, that doesn't come out of nowhere. Like it doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Yes, some people are probably a little less durable than others, but you shouldn't be getting injured all the time. Like that's not normal for any runner. Right. This is exactly who that's for. If you're someone who's injury prone and you don't know, like, like no one's just naturally injury prone, right? There's always a reason for something. And if you can't really pinpoint that reason, or if you struggle with figuring out why things happen, like, you know, maybe you get the 30 miles a week and your knee starts hurting. Then you go to a PT, you figure that out. Then you're back to 30 miles a week and now your hip hurts. You know, it's, it could be the same limitation compensating in different ways each time you get to that point. So this is something that if, you know, if this, if this sounds like you, this is perfect for you to kind of go through and give you hopefully some sort of answer or somewhere to go to to really figure out the, the real reason why that's happening. Let's talk about going to visit a physical therapist who specializes with and works with runners versus a physical therapist who maybe is not as familiar with working with runners. Because, you know, this always bums me out when I try to do the right thing and a runner is injured and I say, you need to go to a physical therapist and they go to a physical therapist who I'm sure is great at very specific parts of their practice, but not in working with runners. And they get told to do something like, well, you just need to stretch more or, well, you should just stop running because it's bad for your knees or whatever the thing is. Um, tell us tell us the difference between a running physical therapist and kind of a generalist physical therapist. Yeah, that's a great question. This is my passion, right? So what happened or what, what I saw what happened, at least from my perspective, when COVID happened, everybody became a runner. The gyms were closed. People, if you wanted to be active, you had to go outside and either bike or run. And there are so many more runners than, than there were previously, right? So that opened up this huge market to all the physical therapists everywhere to just say, hey, we need to like bring these runners in because this is who's going to keep us in business right now because you know COVID's happening. So everybody at that time became a quote unquote running specialist, physical therapist, right? And there is a big difference between basic physical therapy and, and being a running specialist physical therapist because we have, you know, it's, it's seven years of school for us. We have doctorate degrees. We're not to have a knock on us in any way, but we, we learn these very, what we consider basic treatments for physical therapy. And for somebody who is a higher level runner and having this, you know, some sort of repetitive injury or can't get over this injury or performance hump, a lot of times those basic, you know, if it's tight, stretch it, if it's a weak, strengthen it, those basic treatments that we do aren't going to work for somebody who is a higher level athlete. You know, whether you consider yourself a higher level athlete or not, if you're someone who runs consistently, you would reach that threshold in, in terms of the physical therapy scope. So, you know, it's, it's hard even for me to kind of decipher which physical therapists are really, you know, really know how to work with runners in that aspect versus the ones who don't. And, you know, we can get into a whole conversation about how insurance plays a whole part in that too. 
but yeah it is it's very tough for somebody who is is going out to get help and they go to a physical therapist who you know they say they work with runners and all that and then they give them the basic treatment and they don't they don't get anywhere with the treatment versus somebody a physical therapist who is truly like a running specialist kind of takes that extra step to tell them how to treat these runners in ways that we just don't learn in physical therapy school I mean, because a physical therapist isn't going to say on their website, I don't work with runners. They're going to say, yeah, I, of course they do. They they do know how, right? Like you said, this is a doctorate degree. It's not like you don't know how to treat movement issues, um, but it is, it's almost like a specialty, right? It's almost like you need to go then specialize in not even sports specific, but like running specific physical therapy. Absolutely. There is such a huge difference too. You know, I could speak personally through what I learned in school. We don't learn anything about the running gait cycle at all. It's never mentioned. We learn about gait, how it relates to people with like Parkinson's and things Wait, like that. Wait, you don't learn anything about the running gait cycle in physical therapy school? I can only speak on my program, but no, we never we never mentioned it once. Our gait cycle was all walking. And again, that was a huge reason why me, I was going through PT school like, oh my God, I want to graduate and work with runners. And I don't, I've never learned about running gait. I need to do something to, to educate myself before I graduate. So that's why I got my strength and conditioning certification because that helped me like a ton. I love that. And I've reached out to people who were experts in that field and, and shadow them and, and learn from there. But yeah, I, I hate to, you know, break the secret and it could just be my program, right? I'm only speaking on my program, but we don't learn about the running gait cycle, let alone anything deeper than that, you know, treating runner specific injuries. Um, there, yeah, that's not in PT school believe it or not. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, I've talked to enough physical therapists and on this podcast, especially the ones who do work with runners specifically, they always have additional experience certifications, you know, like jobs, they've done something where it's like I graduated. And then I also had to do this to get to where I am today to learn about running specifically. Right. You have to, if you want to specialize with runners, right. Or if you want to treat the runners who are running 30, 40, 50 miles a week and, and, like I said, the basic physical therapy treatments aren't really going to help those runners because we don't really learn that in school. So, you know, being able to see people or, or talk to people who have those extra certifications or take that extra step, again, that's not everything, right? There's some people who might do that and still might not be able to apply all those stuff to, to runners like that. But it is a, definitely a good first step into finding the right physical therapist for you if you are a runner somebody who who has that and, and knows what they're doing with those high level runners. Is there anything a person could ask a physical therapist to kind of like a question or a line of questioning that to get a sense of how much experience that PT has to work with runners? Obviously, like I said, you're not going to call up and they're not going to say like, yeah, of course I work with runners. Like, of course they work with everybody. But is there like a like a trick question or a secret, like, Ooh, they really know they really do work with runners. <laughs> Cause I get questions like, how do I find a PT? Right. And I'm like, yeah, Google, I don't referrals. I mean, some people live in a place with very few options. Right. I, I wish there was everybody who you call will tell you, yeah, we work with runners. We're really good at them. Come on and give us your business. Right. But I think the best way is to, is one through referrals is absolutely if you know somebody who goes to see a physical therapist and, and they have good things to say about them, that is the first place to start. Absolutely. Um, but second of all, looking at, 
you know, I don't want to say the certifications because I don't want to make it sound like if they have a certification, they're experts in their field because sometimes they're not. But I think it's another good place to start too, right? Make sure somebody is taking those extra steps to understand the population that they're working with, whether it be runners or crossfitters or something that, that kind of suits you and your lifestyle. Um, but unfortunately, no, if you, if you call somebody and, and ask those questions, they're, they're going to want your business and they'll, they'll tell you what you want to hear. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. So doing your own research, talking to your friends, talking to, you can reach out to physical therapists individually. I guess you can kind of ask like, you know, who are the, like the main people that you work with, right? If they just work with a general outpatient kind of population, that might not be something that's for you if you are a consistent runner. But if they work with just athletes and runners more so than anybody else, that's, that's a good place to start too. I've also found calling your local running store. Like even if you don't buy anything from them, call your local running store. They will know who the good physical therapists in town are. Yeah. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I don't want to say, yeah, you can absolutely. But I know some running stores out here too, that are sponsored by the big clinics that don't really see a lot of runners, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's tough, right? It's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy for me. And I'm on the inside of this field. So, but yeah, you, you got to do all the above, I would say. Let's, I have one more question. And this is more about, um, it makes a lot of sense now that you said you didn't really learn about the running gate cycle in PT school because gate analysis is a thing that, I mean, I have, you know, I like to watch my runners run when I get a chance. I don't require it from all of my coaching athletes, but if something's wrong, I'll ask them to send them a video and we can take a look. But I often get questions about, do you do gait analysis or should my physical therapist do a gait analysis? And if they don't know what they're looking for, probably not, right? Yeah, I look at, I think the gait analysis is just one of the many tools that we have to kind of, you know, like I said, just kind of investigate where the, the root problem is. A lot of times if you go to a running store and get a gait analysis, they'll tell you your arches are collapsing and you need insoles and that's kind of the end of that, right? So, you know, if, if you go to a physical therapist and you're hearing that and you don't really think that's the issue, that can be a red flag too. But it is absolutely important, but it is just one of the many tools that we should have as running specialist physical therapists to, to work with you. And kind of like you too, I don't, I don't require a gait analysis for my athletes or I don't do it for... In fact, I do it for like maybe just a fraction of my patients because a lot of the times just the basic strength testing or these like movement screens that we do will give me answers that I need to to dig further into that stuff and I'll get what I need from there. So a lot of times I won't even usually get analysis, but it is important to to know how to do it if you're going to utilize it and, you know, understand it more than just arches collapsing and needing insoles. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about the running store gate analysis on the treadmill for shoe sales. None of them. Yeah, you, you, you can't blame them. I mean, they're they're there to do their job, and I mean, and it sounds fine. good, right? Like, it sounds like let me just watch you run, and I'll tell you exactly what shoes you should be in. And to be fair, there are some people with great knowledge and experience who work in the running shoe store industry and genuinely probably do know, but there are a lot of people who uh, don't when they're doing that. Right. Not to knock on them either. That, that could be the solution that you need. I'm not saying it's not, but a lot of times it's just throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping something sticks. All right. So all of these things, it sounds like these are all 
tools a runner can use to get a fuller picture of what's going on with their body. So it's not about, you know, I'm going to do this screening and it's going to tell me exactly what's wrong with me. It's more about how do I just become educated about how my body moves, what I might need help with, what my specific issues might be. And look, if you, if you do all these exercises perfectly, like, awesome, good for you. Tuck this information away, do it again in a couple months and see if anything's changed. Because as much as we hate to admit it, time does pass and our bodies do change. And what feels okay now might not be the same in six months. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, you can do all the stuff at home, all the research. And, you know, we are, we're here as physical therapists for a reason, as health professionals for a reason. It might just be time to, to see somebody that, that knows what they're doing to help you out with it. And I will plead with all runners as a coach, if you are about to embark and it's, we're, this is spring, spring, um, fall marathons are right around the corner. If you are training for any sort of big fall race, I am begging you take care of these issues now. Don't wait. Do not enter your training cycle carrying an injury or an issue. It is not going to get better the more that you run. Absolutely. Yeah. You need that. I mean, there's no way around building volume. Runners need volume. And if you can't do that without being injured, you can't really jump into any kind of efficient training cycle. Carmen, this has been fascinating. I, I mean, as we were going through all this, I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I, I I'm sure I could do 25 single leg body weight calf raises. I mean, it'll probably get to burn a little bit, but I God, I hope I can do that. <laughs> oh yeah. A burn is normal. We should feel a burn. Absolutely. But, but yeah, I mean, we have to, we load those muscles with each step and we, I mean, imagine how many steps we take with just a mile. And if we're running miles and miles on end, we need that strength and endurance. It's, it's important. So People, if you want to download this injury risk assessment tool, you can go to the We Run Vegas Instagram account, go to the link in bio, download it. It is free. Like Carmen said, he has a lot of videos and links to the research. This is a great jumping off point. But also people want to find, follow, and connect with you. Tell us how they can do that. Two accounts now, a lot of places to get in touch. Yeah, right. If you're somebody who cares about me personally, you could follow me at carmen.dpt. But if you're just here for the education aspect, I totally respect that. That's why we cre I created the We Run Vegas. You know, a lot of reasons, but that's the biggest one there to kind of get that information out to everybody. You know, it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I love sharing, and you know, hoping to height, hoping to fight this Instagram disinformation. So I like to throw a lot of research and stuff in there too. And I'm always open to questions and all that. If anybody has anything, just reach out to me either or, and, and my Instagram accounts. Just let me know. But yeah, we run Vegas. It's it's brand new. I'm just starting to get things rolling. I have a lot of posts saved up, hoping to create a podcast, something like this here, hopefully. You know, it's funny too, because I was thinking for my podcast, you know, how can I separate and niche myself down to not do something like exactly what you're doing? Because you've done this and been so successful with it. And I'm like, you know, well, I'll get more specific with stuff, make it more PT related. And then I saw you did an episode not too long ago about like an entire hour of just hip flexor and how that relates to running. And I'm like, leave me something to talk about, you know, <laughs> but, um, but no, so I'm hoping to do something like you're doing here. It's, it's been great talking to you, seeing what you've been doing and, um, you know, hoping to help you just kind of help this whole community get educated and, and take that next step in their training. Yeah. I mean, it, to be honest there, I feel like there are a lot of people, I mean, I feel like we're all, we're all trying to do good work here. We're trying to do evidence-based trying to explain the complexities in a way that everybody can understand. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to this comes to this stuff. And I think it's one of the struggles about communicating 
complicated topics to kind of the mass market is like, how do I simplify it without oversimplifying it or doing a disservice yet still provide answers, right? Because like, I don't know, it depends. Like it's not a very helpful answer. We then have to give some additional information, but I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like the more, the more the, the good people are talking about this stuff, the happier I am. And I know for a fact, like there's a lot of overlap, right? I'm sure, you know, there's like two people who've also done episodes on shin splints and hip flexors. That's fine. I don't care. I just want people to be healthy and to run well. And if they learn it from me or from somebody else, I don't care. Like, just please stay healthy. Just please do it right. <laughs> Absolutely. There is, there are so many runners out there. There is a market for, for anybody trying to do this stuff. And, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's aspiring to be a running specialist as an athletic trainer or a personal trainer or a physical therapist, there don't let anybody tell you that there's no room in this field because there is people love running. People love to getting into it. And there are a lot of people who need help. Yes, there are. There's room for all of us in this space. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Carmen, for sharing your time with us. I, my original pitch for this episode was I want to learn how to run in the desert, but we'll have to save that for another conversation. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. I don't have answers for that, but that's it's tough. Stay safe this summer in the Vegas heat. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank all right. You. Talk to you later. See you later. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.